the building blocks and dynamics of prayer. That's next on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to our broadcast. We're continuing with our theme of prayer, and today we're back in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, as we take a look at the right kind of righteousness in praying. Now, we have an awful lot of ground to cover in the next couple of weeks, and we want to take a look at an overview of this disciple's prayer the importance of true prayer, the inadequacy of unbiblical prayer, as well as the instruction of true prayer. And today we'll spend some time taking a look at a Jewish perspective on prayer as well, helping you with the building blocks of prayer. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We're going to begin a study of what's commonly known the Lord's Prayer. It's uh, actually the Disciples' Prayer, you might say, and it's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15, and really the, the main part of the prayer is through verse 13, and then verses 14 and 15 are kind of an addendum to, to what was prayed. We'll get into that in the coming weeks, but uh, we're going to be here for a little while because there's so much in this, this prayer. It's just amazing. Once you start to study it, you start to look at the different facets of it, it comes to life. It's not just something that from my childhood I used to say in the Catholic Church growing up, I could say it in my sleep. It didn't mean a whole lot to me. Really, this is a model that Christ gave us on how we should pray. Just as when we went through the the other part of the, the Beatitudes there looks at the different areas of our life, our Christian life. This really looks at our relationship with God, and it, and it will strengthen it. But I think in the Christian life, there's probably nothing more important than, than you think about the subject of prayer. And yet, I don't know about you, but a lot of times prayer is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy to pray. And yet we're, we're told to do it all the time. We're told to pray without ceasing. As believers, we're called to learn how to pray so that we can express the, the fullness of our relationship with God. That's really what the gift of prayer is. Paul said, pray without ceasing. It means just that, pray and pray and pray and never stop praying. And I think that it's, it's probably such an important part of our Christian life. That's why Christ, in this section here, we, we were talking here that he talks about three religious duties of the Jews of the day. The first one was giving, and that's covered in verses 1 through 4. And then prayer, and that's covered in verses 5 through 14. And then basically fasting, 16 to 18. But you look at those verses, and where's the, the majority of the time that the Lord spends is on the importance of prayer. And so rather than just dive right into this prayer, I, we want to give a little bit of an overview, a little bit of a background on the importance of prayer. Why is it important that we pray? Obviously, giving's important, and we looked at why, because that's how God blesses us, and we're able to, to give back. Fasting is important. Prayer is important. But it's interesting, because if you take giving and you don't pray about what you're giving, the Bible says that you should pray as God has directed in your heart, and if you also look at fasting and you just go out and fast without prayer, really those two elements of religious life are meaningless without prayer. And so prayer is really the center point of the Christian walk. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. And a lot of times we forget that. We forget that prayer should be a central portion of our Christian life. Well, there's 
a look at unbiblical prayer. A lot of times we go to pray and we don't really know how we should pray. The Jews of, of Jesus' day were very prayerful, but they were doing it all wrong. Just like they were giving all wrong and they were fasting all wrong. They were doing it for their own self-grandizement, their own self-glory. And here when he comes to prayer, he really kind of hammers home the point of what the purpose of prayer is. Matter of fact, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the apostle Paul said, We know not what to pray as we ought. He's saying we don't even know how to pray. He said two things there. We don't know what to pray for, and we don't know how we ought to pray. And so we're kind of in a quandary because we're called to prayer, and yet most of us, I believe, don't know the right way to pray. It's not a formula, but there's a biblical way to pray, and there's an unbiblical way to pray. That's why the Bible says the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. God desires us to pray. And so we have this problem, the same problem that they had in Jesus' day. They didn't know how to pray in the right way, in the religiously correct way, in the biblical way. Now, they were very familiar with prayer in in the time of Christ. It was kind of the, the central point of their life, just like it should be of our life. There's basically two tests someone pointed out regarding someone's spirituality. One is the study of God's Word, and secondly, it's prayer. You can focus in on somebody's life in those two areas, the idea that they're studying God's Word and the idea that they're praying, and you can tell where someone is spiritually very quickly. And I think it's important that the study of God's Word comes before prayer. You can't just pray in a vacuum. You can't just open the Bible up and go, okay, let's see, what do you got for me? And so, you know, we, we can't pray in a vacuum, and, and we want to make our prayers with a foundation of God's Word. And that's what Jesus does here in the, in the disciples' prayer. Basically 66 words, depending on what translation you have. This prayer is an incredible prayer. It's a model prayer. It's a prayer that he says, pray, therefore, in this way. And we're going to be looking at this in the weeks to come. But I think sometimes we need to remember that we shouldn't just jump into prayer. I think that it's important that we have the Word of God as a foundation for what we're praying. We mentioned this a little bit last week. There's a lot of people that pray for, they they go to prayer and they ask Christ for strength. And the Bible says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, right? We heard people stand up and say, Lord, you know, pray that you'll be with us when we go on this trip. The, The Bible says that, you know, hey, I'm with you always. There are people who... Just say, man, Lord, give me the love to love this person. It's a hard person to love. And I just and the Bible says that the love of Christ has been shed abroad in your heart. See, you don't need more of that. You just need to use what God has already given us. But if we don't go to God's word, we don't know what God has already given us. So, therefore, we're praying almost empty prayers. God's up there saying, you already got it. You already got it. You already got it. Just use it. Or sometimes, and we've all prayed this at some point in our Christian life, so I'm making fun of myself as well as others. Not making fun of them, but bringing attention to this. Sometimes in prayer meetings, you, you hear, you know, Lord, your word says, where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. And you stop and you say, okay, does that mean if I'm at home by myself praying in my bed, he's not there? No, it's nothing to do with that. But we use that. And it, it comes out of an ignorance of God's word is why we, we use that. We've used that on occasion. It's not talking about a prayer meeting there. And so we need to stop and we need to lay the foundation down of God's word and say, hey, you know what? Don't go to God like you're going to inform him about something when you're in your prayer. The Bible says that he already knows what you're going to say. He already knows what you need before you even ask him. And yet so much of our prayers, I think, are information-based prayer. Like we're letting God in on something he doesn't know about. God, you know, I just had a bad day at work today. You know, first of all, started off the water cooler. Then, you know, I went to my office and then I got this phone call. And God's up there going, okay, you don't think I know this? I already know this. 
And sometimes I think when we pray, I mean, it's God graceful and God understanding, sure, just as we are when we're in a prayer meeting and we hear people pray when two or three are gathered in my name. I don't say, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't, you know, I don't do that. You practice grace and love. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray with some kind of intelligence, that we shouldn't pray with some kind of foundation upon God's word. And so when we study God's word, we discover God's truth, and that helps us when we go to prayer. So those two ultimate tests of spirituality are the study of God's word, and alongside of that, you would put prayer. And the Lord basically here, he gives us instruction on how to pray. Jesus knew more than anybody how to pray. Um, The disciples in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 says, Lord, teach us to pray. And if you look at that text and when he answered that question, what does he do? He basically recites the same prayer that we're looking at this morning. A little different because it's a different occasion, but it's basically the same model. And so I think that what Jesus wants to get across here in this model prayer is that, you know what, I don't want you to be praying like the Pharisees do. And that's what he says in verses 5 through 8. Don't pray like them. Don't use vain repetition of words like the pagans do. Don't pray just so you can be seen by other men. That's not what it's about. Don't pray that you think you're informing God because he knows knows what you're going to ask before you even ask. Don't pray that way. And then he says, but pray this way. In verse 9, he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. It's interesting because when you look at giving, he points out three ways, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And if you want to jump ahead to fasting, he points out three ways, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. (laughs) But when it comes to prayer, he not only gives more verses to it and more dialogue with it, but he says, don't do this, don't do this, do this. He gives a positive instruction when it comes to prayer. The other ones he doesn't. And so he wants us to see the priority of prayer. Now, to do that, you kind of have to get a little background on what Jesus is talking about, what his culture is dealing with. And a lot of times it's good to get a little historical uh, perspective, you might say, on what we're looking at when we look at this model prayer. Now, God wants us to come to him in prayer. We know that he wants us to pray. The Jewish perspective, from their perspective, they really had in their mind that they have a right to come to God. This was a major part of their life experience. They didn't have to pray about praying. They knew for sure that they were to pray. They continually desired to come to God. Because that was just part of their their life. They were in a theocracy where God was the head of their government and and everything. And and they didn't come like the pagans do in fear and trembling, the word of God says. They didn't come to God in a panic. They came to God because they really believed that God wanted them there. Matter of fact, one rabbi said this, The Holy One yearns for the prayers of the righteous. Better than that, the Bible says in Psalm 145.18, The Lord is near to all who call upon him. In Psalm 91.15, it says, When he calls to me, I will answer him, says the Lord. In other words, the word of God reveals that God wants us to pray to him. We have a right to go to him in prayer. He desires to hear our hearts cry. And no Jew would ever question the priority of prayer in the religious practice. The rabbis believed that prayer was not just communication, but they also believed that it was a weapon to be used. It was a way of unleashing God's power, sometimes on their enemies. In Psalm 65, too, it says this, O thou that hearest prayer. And then it goes on to say, Unto thee shall all flesh come. See, the idea there is that the Jews said, O thou that hearest prayer. They believed that God heard their prayer and they could use it as a way to to unleash the power of God on whoever. They weren't like the people who worship Baal. Remember with Elijah, they kept on saying the same thing over and over and over again, louder and louder, trying to, you know, is your God on vacation? What's going on? It just didn't work for them. We don't have to do that. God's not on vacation. We don't have to rip our clothes and cut our bodies as they did, the pagans did, to get God's attention. He already is 
attended to us. He wants us to know that he hears our prayers, those of the righteous, the word of God says. Also, the Jewish teachers wanted even to go a kind of a step further. They knew that that it was their right to pray. They, They could use it as a weapon to unleash God's power. They knew that prayer was heard, but they also believed that it was to be constant. It was part of their religious practice. They were trying to teach people to avoid praying only when you get desperate, as many of us do. A lot of people view prayer as kind of a parachute. You're glad it's there and you hope you never have to use it. That's so important that God wants us to pray all the time. They wanted people in their culture to pray all the time. The Talmud says this, honor the physician before you have need of him. That's a good principle, isn't it? You're going to the doctor, send him some flowers first. Send him a box of candy first. Kind of warm him up to your visit a little bit. Don't just go in there cold turkey. See, I mean, not that we have to manipulate God, but that principle is very true. Are we just crying out to God when we need, as a desperate act, when we need his help with something? Or are we constantly praying. It also says this, the Holy One says, just as it is, as it is my office to offer the rain to and the, the dew to fall and to make plants to grow and sustain man, thou art bound to pray before me and to praise me in accordance with my works. You shall not say, I am in prosperity before, wherefore shall I pray? But when misfortune befalls me, then I will come and supplicate. No, before misfortune comes, anticipate and pray. We're to pray constantly. So they, they didn't think that prayer was some kind of emergency appeal to God. They really believed that it was something that we should be doing all the time. And they also believed that there were certain elements to the model prayer. There were certain things that they believed prayer had to have if it was going to be biblical, true, God-honoring prayer. The first thing they thought was that it should incorporate some kind of love and praise. Um, The psalmist says in 34.2, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall what? Be continually in my mouth. Unceasingly will I offer praise. Psalm 51.17 says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. So they believe that part of the prayer life was not just asking God for things, but it was actually offering him love and praise. They also felt that prayer should incorporate gratitude and thanksgiving. You think of the the, uh, prayer Jonah offered up, I will offer sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. And even Paul prayed with thanksgiving in his heart. So it's to incorporate that kind of a thanksgiving, gratitude, grateful heart. Thirdly, they thought that prayer should have a sense of God's holiness, a sense of reverence before God. In other words, they didn't just run into God's presence and say, oh, by the way, you know, it it was something to be taken seriously. And I think a lot of times we take our relationship and we take our prayer life very flippantly and we treat God as if he were almost a man. Hey, dude, you know, I need some help up there. You're up there. I got to talk to the man upstairs. Use, Use terms like that. They really bring God down to man's level. And God's saying that shouldn't be. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a glimpse of a proper high view of God. Isaiah chapter 6 beginning verse 1 it says in the year that King Uzziah died look at what he says. I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above it stood seraphim each one had six wings and two he covered his face two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one cried to another saying holy 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 is the Lord God of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory. Do you see the exaltation 
to see the reverence of their coming into his presence. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. See, he didn't march into God's presence saying, Hey, dude, what's up? He went in there and he felt utterly desperate, utterly humiliated, utterly unclean. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people with a, of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And it goes on. That's a very high view of God. It's not just prancing into God's presence, saying, Hey, by the way, I have a couple needs here. He wanted us to understand that we serve a God who is in the heaven. And sometimes the way we do church, sometimes the way we do our prayer meetings, sometimes the way we do our own personal worship, we just think God's the big man upstairs and, you know, that's how the, how the thing works. And God's saying, hey, wait a minute. You need a little bit of reverence when you come into my, my presence. They not only felt that, but they also felt that a praying heart should have a deep desire to obey God, to be obedient to God. They didn't say that you could just go to prayer if your heart wasn't right. If you were being disobedient, oh yeah, just pray anyway. God, don't worry, your sins are all forgiven. No, they really believe your heart had to be right. Psalm 119 affirms that over and over and over. It says things like, my tongue will sing of thy word, for thy commandments are right. And it goes on and on and on. Our, our hearts have to be right. We have to be obedient before God, before we anticipate our prayers will be entertained by him. Also, fifthly there, part of this ties into that. They really incorporated a sense of confession of sin. When you you go to prayer, are you just kind of going in there forgetting that maybe you have some sins that need you to get things straightened out with God first? Psalm 26 verse 6 says this, I will wash my hands in innocence and then go about thine altar, O Lord. See, there's some preparatory, preparatory work that has to be done before you just kind of march into God's presence. I'm not coming into your presence until I've cleaned up what I can in my own life. Now, this is talking about believers, all right? It's talking about Christians. It's, you know, when we come to the Lord, we come to God with, with everything that we have, and we lay it on his altar at the cross, and we say, God, forgive me for all these sins. And he says, done, you're forgiven. In that sense, we don't have to get cleaned up to get saved, but once we're a Christian, the process of sanctification, the process of God setting us apart, making us holy like his son, goes on and on and on, and we're an imperfect people. So we sin every day. And the Bible clearly teaches that when we sin, what are we to do? Come to him in confession. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then not only that, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we can go into God in an unworthy manner if we have unconfessed sin in our lives. In James 5.16, it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a what? Righteous man avails much. So are we right in our standing with God as a believer? Yes, we are. You're not going to get any more right in your standing, in your position before God. How about the practicality? How about the living out the Christian walk every day? How are we doing in that area? That's what God, he wants us to come to him with a pure heart. Also, they believe that prayer should be unselfish. And we don't get this, you know, but in the Jewish culture, they really had a sense of community. They had a sense that they're all part of this together. They were all under the same theocracy, which was ruled by God. The national kind of a sense of pride was there. And they lived in this kind of a community where everybody kind of cared 
for each other. So we don't do that today. Everybody's kind of their own independent person. We go our own way. We walk our own way. We do our own thing. Back then, you wouldn't isolate out an individual. They believed in community, and their prayers were encompassed always in the whole. They were not isolating out one or two people. This one uh, commentary says that the rabbis had a very interesting prayer. Here's what it said. Hear not, O Lord, the prayer of the traveler. Hear not, O Lord, the prayer of the traveler. What do you mean? What do you do when you go on vacation? I pray. I pray for good weather. pray for a safe ride. Pray. They they would never do that. Because while you're praying for good weather, there may be some poor farmer praying for rain. See, they had a sense of community. They had a sense of of kind of a, a corporate religion. And we've gotten away from that. See, we focused on prayer and it comes down to what we want, what we need. And that's how we pray, most of us, most of the time. God, it's about me. And the rabbis would say, don't, don't hear that prayer. Don't hear the, the prayer of the traveler, because you could be robbing the farmer of the much-needed rain he needs to feed us just to give this guy a nice vacation. See, we go to prayer, and it's always I, I, me, me, my, my. And we isolate these prayers, and then we say, yeah, I had a good prayer time this morning. Got all my needs out. Got them all checked off in my journal. All the things that I need, I took to the Lord. And see, God wants us to come to him in prayer. He wants us to come to him in prayer with our needs, but he also wants us to come in prayer with a sense that, you know what, God, you are in heaven, and you do have a master plan concerning your kingdom, and everything that fits together here, and sometimes my desires, my wants, may not fit exactly where I want. So we don't always have that perspective when it comes to prayer. In the Old Testament, the Jews would pray, you do whatever advances your cause among your people, not what I want personally. And we've developed this self-centered perspective of prayer, and it's really unbiblical. We've isolated ourselves kind of out. We don't communicate with each other. We don't bear each other's burdens. We don't share the way we should. And consequently, our prayers and our prayer life run down this one single track. And God's saying, that's, that's not the way I designed this church to operate. You notice, if you doubt that, if you just look through those verses in disciples' prayer there, you're going to see that there's no singular personal pronouns in that prayer. Not one. It's our Father, our daily bread, our debts, our debtors. That's the true prayer that encompasses the community of faith. It never isolates one individual out to have their needs met, no matter how it affects everybody else. So they really believed that prayer was to be unselfish. They also believed that it was to be persistent, that we had to persevere in prayer. You know, the Apostle Paul prayed for Three times. You remember when, uh, uh, with the, the sin of the golden calf and in Deuteronomy and Moses, bless his heart, after the, the people just totally kind of messed up and God was ready to, you know, snuff them out, he went to God and he prayed. It says he prayed for his people's sins, the sins of Israel, for 40 days in a row. Now that's perseverance. That's what God wants us to do. We don't just back off and say, oh, well, God's sovereign, uh, why even pray? No, he says, you know what? I don't have a problem with you coming to me with with needs and that are legitimate, that fit within my will. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to have to be persistent about it. You're going to have to persevere. And then lastly, they thought that the prayers were to be humble, that they had to possess some form of humility. See, a Jew who was coming into prayer to submit himself to the will of God, that's that's the whole purpose of them coming. It wasn't coming to name it and claim it. It wasn't coming to, God, I demand this, I demand that. No. In their mind, when they came to prayer, they were saying, okay, God, I'm submitting myself to your will, whatever that may be. The greatest illustration of that is when Jesus was in the garden, you remember, in the very prayer of the Lord himself in the garden, when he he basically was very uncomfortable and didn't want to necessarily humanly do what was ahead of him to go to the cross and all that, he says, nevertheless, not my what? Will, but thy be done. That's the heart of the truest prayer. God, here's my desire, but you know what? It's up to you, and I I recognize that. And if if that's not in your thing, then, then don't allow that to happen. I want your desire 
God, not mine. It's asking Him to do His will and to give us grace to enjoy it. So all those elements, those eight things there, were part of the very basic elements of Judaism when it came to prayer. You have been listening to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located here in Redwood City. And it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. In fact, we have a special opportunity for you women to join us, and Pastor Steve Converse will be here in just a moment to tell you all about it. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call. You can reach us at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. If you would rather write to us, here's our address, 2225 Euclid, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. Your letters, phone calls, emails, they mean a great deal to us. Even more so, uh, join us for worship. Sunday services, again, are at 10 a.m., and details are on our website at gracefultruth.org. If you're not involved in a fellowship at this time, please consider this our official invitation. And now, with another invitation for a conference coming up in October, our teacher and pastor once again. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd just like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our listening audience. Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 2nd, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author Cynthia Heald for our Fall Women's Conference. Ladies, you know firsthand how hectic the world can be today and the demands that are placed upon you. And we'd like to give you the opportunity to break away from your routine for just one Saturday morning and come together for some great fellowship and teaching based on God's Word. All the registration information can be found on our church website at www.gracebibleonline.org. Once again, that's gracebibleonline.org. There's a registration form available, so you can simply download it, print it out, fill it out, and mail it to the address indicated. Or you can simply give us a call here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. Once again, the number is 650-366-9923. We hope to see you in October. Thank you, Steve. And again, that phone number is 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you next week at the same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.